What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the River Students Podcast. It's me, Jared Moss, your host today. And this month, we're talking all about theology. Uh, Last week, Zeke, Wallace, and myself tackled the topic, Why Theology Matters. And if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to go back and listen to that and just kind of get a feel for the importance of theology. And we talked about how what we think about God is the most important thing about us because it defines everything that we think about everything else. Today, I want to key in on that a little bit further with this quick take. In just a few minutes, I want to talk specifically about how we gather theology. And so the idea essentially is that um, we've got to determine how, how does one, okay, I'm a theologian. I got it. That's great. How do I have good theology? What is good theology? What's the point? What's the purpose? And I want to start by saying this, good theology leads you closer to the Jesus of the scriptures. I'll say that again. Good theology leads you closer to the Jesus of the scriptures. Some people think that theology is a bad thing because like, oh, I'll be one of those dry and crusty old theologians and then I won't love God. Nothing could be further than the truth. I think we've said before that theology, the studying of God is like stalking a girl that you like on Instagram. And whenever you learn something new about her, it's inspiring, it's exciting. I found that as I study the word of God, I know him more because the Bible is God's primary way that he reveals himself to us. A while back, I was talking to an individual and they said that they believed in this thing called a simulation theory. It's this crazy theory that kind of like a video game that now modern technology is so advanced that graphics are so incredible on video games that what if we are actually living in a super advanced simulation and like everything around us is a program. And we're programs and all kinds of things like that. And I laughed and I said, hey, I can actually get with that. And they're like, why Why can you get with that? I said, because the Bible teaches that God created the heavens and the earth. He created man. He put his spirit in man. And he gives us purposes and a calling. So we are in a simulation of sorts. Everything around us is temporary, the Bible teaches. What matters is what's eternal. And that's God. And they were kind of, uh, they kind of laughed because they thought that was really funny. But. I just told him that's kind of a big deal, you know. Theology is really interesting because kind of like if you were in a video game, the way that you're going to win is by discovering the rules. It's by discovering the parameters of the game. It's by understanding the storyline. Everybody that's ever played Mario knows that the goal is to beat Bowser and save the princess, right? Well, the Bible is the roadmap of this life. If there is a God, and there is, because there's obviously a creator. And as Romans 1 says, the creation points to the creator, essentially. Everyone from every nation, creed, tribe, and tongue from all of human history has been able to look at the sky, the scripture says, and see and behold the wonders of the cosmos. And so they know that someone created all of the creation. Therefore, Romans 1 says, we're without excuse. Everybody knows that there's a God innately. I have this phrase, I don't believe there's actually anything such as a real atheist. People can claim that there's no God. That just means they make themselves God because they determine everything about everything. But the truth is in all of us is the very real innate understanding that there's something beyond this. There's something greater. There's something beyond this life that impacts what we do in this life. Romans 1 makes that case. 
I want you to ask yourself this. If there is a God, and we believe that there is, do you think that there's a chance that that God would want us to know that there's a God? Do you think there's a greater chance that that God would want to reveal himself? Well, he has. And it's funny. Some people think that, you know, there's a God, but we can't know him. That's a very agnostic thought. The idea that, well, there's a higher power, but we don't know who he is. Well, that's very interesting. Some people have said before, there's too many world religions. I can't pick. One guy talked about the thousands of world religions that there are. And one individual even told me one time, he said, if you were to take all the world religions and beliefs and put them into a pie chart, the piece of the pie that's not Christianity is bigger than the piece that is Christianity. He's like, that's why I can't be a Christian. I said, that's interesting, except for something. He said, what's that? I said, well, there are 2 billion Christians. There are 1 billion Jews and 1 billion Muslims. That's half the world's population, roughly. All three of those faith believe that their God is the God of Abraham. He said, what? I said, exactly. I said, how is it that half the world claims the faith of Abraham? He's like, what? how is that? Because Christians and Jews and Muslims aren't all the same, right? And I told him, and said, exactly, yeah, but Christians come from the Jews who believed a promised Messiah was coming of the tribe of Judah. And then he did. His name's Jesus, and he rose from the dead. And that's why us Christians know that Jesus is our Messiah. But Jews come from the son of Abraham, Isaac, the promised son. Muslims believe they come from Ishmael, the first son of Abraham, the half-son, because he was the son of his handmaiden, Hagar. But the Bible clearly teaches that God promised a son to Abraham and Sarah. So we know that the promise actually comes through Sarah. That's Isaac. Isaac has Jacob, or Isaac's wife, Rebecca. Jacob, his name is changed to Israel after an encounter with God. And then Israel, he has the sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel, from which comes Jesus. Very interesting, right? But all Muslims, Christians, and Jews believe that Abraham is the beginning of their God. So why is that? That's because there's never been a God that's revealed himself in all of human history like Yahweh. Yahweh revealed himself as he led the children of Israel to the Red Sea. Yahweh revealed himself through the cosmos and creation. Yahweh revealed himself to Abraham. Yahweh revealed himself all throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes along and he fulfills every messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. Hundreds of them. The likes and probability of which were so impossible. It would be like going over the state of Texas in a helicopter whenever the state's been filled up two feet deep all over the map with quarters and dropping a quarter out of that helicopter and then finding that same quarter. It's that impossible that Jesus would fulfill every single prophecy. And then he did the unthinkable. He rose from the dead after he said he would. Is he God? He must be. You see, every world religion has some sort of solution. Work harder, do more, be a good boy or a good girl or kill people that are bad boys and bad girls, (laughs) that's not good. Christianity is the only one that has a solution for sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of God. It's the only religion that at its centerpiece is the proponent, perpetuation, and king and deity of its own religion crucified for the people in the religion. It's the only religion where the king becomes the servant, where the son of God God himself in flesh becomes man and takes man's place on the cross. That's the difference in Christianity. 
So we're all here in humanity in this different area. We have to say, how are we going to discover God? Well, number one, we know now that God wants to reveal himself. Because God wants to reveal himself, how would he do it? Well, perhaps God has inscribed his word somewhere. Well, and he has. That's called the Bible. A lot of people don't believe the Bible is the word of God anymore. They say that it's uh, ridiculous, that it's dated. A guy told me this week it's been misinterpreted. It has not. Did you know there are over 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament? Thousands more than we have of like the Iliad and Odyssey and all the other works of fiction that no English teacher anywhere says we don't have. Nobody, you never ever heard anybody say, oh, we don't have the Odyssey. We don't have the Iliad by Homer. We don't have that because it's not true. We do have that. And we have thousands more manuscripts of the New Testament. It is humanity's most reliable document. The Old Testament, not so far behind it. We have the Bible. So we know that we have the Bible. And the Bible claims that it's God's revealed word. Well, why aren't there 67 books? Why aren't there 68? Well, for many reasons. Number one, most of the texts were unreliable. The authors were either unknown or they were known and they were rejected because they taught heresy, because they perpetuated lies, or because they appeared so much later than the manuscripts that we have, that it'd be kind of like if somebody wrote a biography of Jared's life in 2025 and everybody knew this is what we need to know about Jared. But then let's say that one pops up in, I don't know, 2180 and they go, well, this is another biography. And they say, oh, we're going to reject that because that's like 150 years after he lived. And like, we already have the one that's pretty reliable that was written right around the time or a little bit after he lived. Yeah, that's the reason that those other books are rejected. Also, the councils that met to um, talk about what would be in the Bible, they looked for a few things. Number one, who wrote it? Did God speak to them? Is this the Moses that stretched out his hand and his staff across the Red Sea and caused it to part? Yeah, well, then he might know something about God. Well, this guy, Paul, well, what we know about Paul is that he used to perform signs and wonders, and he... Uh, used to kill Christians, and then he was converted into one. And he preached the gospel and planted churches. And he knows a thing or two about Jesus because he saw him resurrected on the road to Damascus. Well, what about this guy? Oh, Peter? Oh, he used to walk by people that were sick and his shadow healed them. Yeah, let's listen to what he has to say. You see what I'm saying? The individual author mattered. Also, does this text change your life? Is there something different about it? You know, if you go to Psalms today and read it, there's something about it that stirs you. You read Proverbs, you get wiser. You read uh, the Gospels. It builds faith. There's something about every book in the Bible that has a changing spiritual aspect to it. These are just a few of the reasons the Bible was preserved as it was. And we have it today, all 66 books. It's the Word of God. And so we know that there's a God. We know that this God wants to reveal himself, because wouldn't you? So now we have his Word. It's the Bible, right? Written by the Holy Spirit, through the servants of God, the prophets that walked with him and performed signs and wonders, the apostles who received their teaching in first person from Jesus Christ himself. These are the people that preserve the Bible. Now we know we have the Bible, okay? So now we got the Bible. How are we going to gather theology from the Bible? Well, simply put, first and foremost, we have to read it. And we have to read it consistently. And we have to read all of it. You don't just read the Old Testament. You don't just read the New Testament. You know, if you have a plate and you're eating dinner, you don't just eat meat. You don't just eat dessert. I can't live off of the concretes from Freddy's. They're delicious. 
that's not gonna cut it. I need meat, I need vegetables. I need a little bit of all of it. In the same way, I need Proverbs, I need the Gospels. I need the New Testament letters to the Romans and the Galatians. I need the prophets, I need the writings of Moses. So I read all of it. If you ever find somebody that has one-sided theology, it's probably because they're reading one side of the story, but we need all of it. Also, beyond reading it, we have to understand how to interpret it. I have a saying, let the scriptures interpret the scriptures. If you ever have a question about a scripture, maybe you should wonder, is there another scripture that talks about the scripture? For example, how is it that God can both love sinners and yet judge sin? Well, there are scriptures that will talk about that and address that. How is it that it's okay for one person to be... How is it okay that hell is real if God is love? Well, there are scriptures. I'll give you one right now. The Bible says that hell wasn't prepared for people. It was prepared for the devil and its angels. What? Yeah, exactly. God doesn't want anybody. The Bible says that he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God loves people by offering forgiveness for sin so they don't have to go to the hell that he prepared for the servants that rebelled. That's loving. Well, why would he send people there? They're so good. Well, actually, they're not good. What if the potter, what if the clay says to the potter, Romans 9 says, why did you make me like this? Well, that's a foolish thing because, frankly, we are thinking through finite brains that God gave us, so we have to understand that God's greater. You see, these are the ways that we stay in balance theologically. We let the scriptures interpret the scriptures. But if we don't read the scriptures, we can never achieve that. Let's go on a little bit. You think about um, specifically different ways to form a doctrine. Well, number one, we give priority to certain things. For example, um, if Jesus said it, it's like, all right, we're going to anchor into these red letters and everything is going to be flowing from, through, and to, and about these red letters. We give priority to different perspectives and lenses. Some people, they can't imagine a God who would punish sin because they read somewhere or heard somewhere that God is love, and they think, oh, if it doesn't feel like love, then it's not God. But the problem with that is that when you put the love lens on, you determine what love looks like, and everybody thinks love looks different. Some people think that if their parents don't bring them cupcakes every day, that they don't love them. Some people think that if your father spanks you, then he must not love you. Some people think that if their spouse doesn't do whatever they want, that they don't love them. Some people think that if their boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't stay on the phone with them for three hours a night, they must not love them. But the problem in all these is that they wear the lens of love and get to make up love as they see fit. But do you know, before the Bible ever says God is love, God actually tells us that he's holy. In Isaiah 6, whenever he saw the Lord, the angels who were around the throne 24-7 cried out what they saw in response to God. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Same thing in Revelation. Holy means set apart. It means different. It means other. It means that he's completely different than the way we think. The Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Do you know what this means? This means 
that we have to look through the lens of holy before we put any other lens on. We don't start with our view of love. We start with the word holy to understand that he gets the say. So if it doesn't look like love, it means it must mean that our definition's wrong and his is right. You know why? Because he's holy. He's different. He's bigger. He's the author. He's the creator. So of course he has more knowledge. Of course he has more might, more power. He gets the say. So we give priority to the perspectives that the Bible teaches us to think through. We form a theology, first and foremost, by God's character revealed in Scripture, by His Word, second, in the Scripture, His direct commands. Third, we view it based on interpretation from historical church orthodox teaching. Different people disagree about different things here and there in the church. That's part of being a family. We disagree about some things. But there are certain things that are so essential that the church has decided no one should ever differ from them. You could read the Apostles' Creed and a few other things like that to look that up and find that out. Beyond that, we form it by experience. Think of a theology of prayer. Well, the Bible says, Jesus says, if you ask, you shall receive. He says, don't think you're heard from any words. Just ask the Father your needs. So we know that if we ask simply, we might receive. James says, ask with pure motives. So we know that if our motive is God's glory and not our gain, we know that we're even closer. And then if you've ever prayed and received a promise and write that down, you know from experience how prayer works. That's how you form theology, friends. And it's kind of like a muscle workout. You have to work this thing out so that your faith grows. Everyone's a theologian. How? You read the Bible. You pray. And when you experience God, that becomes your theology. All three in that order. So we get the theology from the word of God in reading it consistently. I want to encourage you to get a Bible reading plan. I want to encourage you to cross-reference Bible so you can let the scriptures interpret the scriptures. I want to encourage you to read a little bit each day. James says that reading the word and doing it, it's like looking in a mirror. And every day you don't check, you don't leave the house before you check the mirror. So imagine walking out of the house without checking your reflection in the Word of God. Friends, get a Bible, read it, eat it. As Ezekiel said, eat the scroll. and Let your doctrine and theology be bedrocked in the Bible. Let God tell you who He is. Be a recipient. And whenever we don't understand something, we don't ask God to change. We change. That's how we gather theology. I hope you enjoyed this quick take. Can't wait for next week. And we're going to talk about reading the word of God. And we got a lot of awesome stuff coming up with River students. Stay tuned to the podcast. We'll see you soon.